I want to ask you to join with me this morning in turning to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 in our scripture passage this morning is going to be verses 1 through 11. Colossians 3, 1 through 11, as you're turning there, I want to welcome those who have joined us via Facebook Live. We're excited to have you today. Thank you for tuning in. We hope that this will be an encouragement to you. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, let us hear the word of the Lord. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after its, the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. And this ends the reading of God's holy word. May he write its truths on our hearts today. Let's pray together. Dear Father in heaven, as we come to you now, we pray that you would speak into our hearts. We ask you, dear Father, that you would open our eyes, that you would help us to see. We implore the work of the Spirit now who has been sent to us to help us, to guide us into the truth. And we pray for great things as a result of the preaching of the gospel today. We pray that you would do a great work in our hearts and continue the transformation in us. For your sake and for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Four more days. Four more days. Can you make it, brothers and sisters? Hang on. <laughs> what has been, uh, I think we can all agree, uh, that's just a crazy year, right? 2020. You've probably seen uh, something on uh, the computer or on your phone, these memes that have 2020 depicted as this terrible monster who's just out to get us. Uh, but we know his time is short, right? 2020 has had some challenges, but of course we would be silly to think that the stroke of a clock at 11.59 Thursday night is going to change everything magically. I mean, it's arbitrary, right? Are we going to wake up Friday morning and be like, oh, wow, now everything's okay. Hmm. Well, January 1st is a really a superficial day, isn't it? 
Nothing is magically going to change. And I think as we reflect back on 2020, I, I hope at least that many of us can recognize that there have been a lot of good things that have happened this year. I, my daughter got married. I gained a son-in-law. I'm assuming that's a good thing, okay? Maybe I should reserve judgment. This is a new thing for me. Uh, but I finished seminary, praise God. Some of you have had children. Some of you have dealt with long illnesses and pain, and, and God's been gracious to, to free you from that. And relationships have been restored, and on and on and on You know, we could go about all the good things that have happened this year. We tend to categorize things according to definitions that we give them. And so we might call uh, a certain day a bad day. Had a bad day. Had a bad week. Some people are saying we have had a bad year. That 2020 has been a bad year. Well, again, it's, you know, just like any other year in many ways, right? There have been some challenges. There have been many, many blessings. But we do need from time to time to flip the calendar, or we need the watch to flip and give us a new day, right? We need to wake up and say, okay, it's a new day. It's a chance to start over. It's a new week. Today we start a new day, we start a new week, and, and Friday we'll start a new year. And so in many ways, it's good to be able to hit the reset button and say, okay, Maybe things will be better. Let's start all over. We need a new year. This idea of new is very important to us Christians. The Bible has a lot to say about it. In fact, uh, we could say that new, the idea new, the word new is a motif in Scripture. A motif. Now, I've said that word before. What is it? Well, a, a motif is basically a recurring theme. It's something that pops up again and again from time to time. Uh, you may recognize this when you open your Bible at the very beginning. You see uh, two designations, Old Testament, New Testament, right? And how are these designations made? Well, according to the coming of Christ, right? Everything before that is Old Testament, and then after that, everything is New Testament. Related to that, we have something called the New Covenant. The New Covenant. Something that is promised and typified and predicted in many places, in many ways, in the Old Testament but perhaps most specifically in Jeremiah 31 where it says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. This new covenant is inaugurated, if you will, by the Lord Jesus Christ on the night he is crucified when he takes a cup and says, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. The writer of Hebrews expounding on this passage in Jeremiah says this in Hebrews 8.13, in speaking of a new covenant, that is, he, Jesus, makes the first one obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. And so we, we have this idea of, of old and new, right? There's a, there's a movement here. New Testament, new covenant, and then, and then how about this? New creation. 
You're familiar with this passage, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Galatians 6.15. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. The book of Revelation mentions in Revelation 5.9 a, a new song, and they sang a new song. And then again in chapter 14, verse 3, and they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. And then near the very ends of our Bible, we have this in Revelation 21.1, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And then later John mentions the new Jerusalem. So, as you can see, all throughout Scripture, particularly in the New Testament, we have this, this theme of new, of, of newness. There's a newness that has begun, and when Christ returns, it will be completed or consummated. And so, as we approach a, a new year, we are reminded of this very important idea in Scripture. The idea of, of things becoming new. In fact, the Bible even speaks of a new you. And that's what I want to talk about today for a few moments. That's a rather long introduction, but I want to return now to our text here in Colossians 3. And I hope that you were paying close attention as I was reading, you'll notice this phrase in verses 9 and 10. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. Now, we're going to uh, dedicate most of our attention to that phrase this morning. But before we do, there's a couple of things that we have to do and... and uh, uh, a little background work. The way that we're going to approach this today is with three questions. Three questions, and these questions all highlight a literary device in this passage. It's all throughout this section, and this literary device is called contrast. Now, what's contrast? Contrast is when you take two things and put them side by side, and you're looking at the differences. They're very different. In fact, they might even be opposite. And so we are going to look at these contrasts today, and I'm going to present to you three different questions. And the first question that I have for you is this, heaven or earth? Heaven or earth? And you may wonder, well, why would I ask that? What do you, what do you mean by that question? Well, here's where I'm getting it. I don't want you to just think with me, okay? Where are you? Do you know where you are? And by you, now I'm, I'm talking about the new you. Where are you? Notice with me what our scripture says here in verses 1 and 2. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. 
What I want us to notice in these first two verses is that there is a contrast that the apostle is making here between heaven and earth. And what we must see is that there is a, a great difference between these two, uh, a difference that's probably greater than our minds can imagine. They are nothing alike. <laughs> How would we describe these two? Uh, what, do we, what do we even call them? Are, are, they, are they places? <laughs> I, I don't know if that's right. That, that, that may help a little bit, but I think a, a better word is uh, maybe two different worlds because they are indeed worlds apart, but uh, we have to call them what? Ideas? Or, or maybe even better, two, two schemes, two time schemes. And here's what I mean. Heaven is an eschatological reality that is eternal. Earth is temporal and passing away. It can't be any more different, can they? You may stop me and say, What, Brother Randy? Heaven's not even mentioned that word's not even in the passage, is it? And I would say, okay, no, but if you'll notice this phrase here in verse 1, it says, since you have been raised with Christ, there is a parallel passage in Ephesians 2.6 which says that God made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him, where? In the heavenly places. And so I think that we can conclude that what is on Paul's mind here is this contrast between heaven and earth. Uh, this is further proven, uh, if you look there at the end of verse 4, it says, Then you also will appear with him in glory, referring not just to the brightness and radiance of this place, but its total difference. It's a different place. It's a different time. So we have a contrast here between heaven and earth, and the question is, where are you? Now, probably some of us, our idea of heaven is, oh, you're talking about the sweet by and by, uh, and that's where we go when we die. Well, yes, that's not totally wrong, but, but what I want us to see here is that for Paul, as he is talking about heaven, he is talking about something that has been brought forward from the end of time into the very present. The eternal state has been brought upon us. It has, it's as if it has been thrust upon us, and in some manner we've entered into it. How did this happen? Well, he tells us in the text, doesn't he? How did it happen? How is it that we can say uh, in some manner now that we have been raised up to the heavenly realms with Christ? It's because of the resurrection of Jesus, right? If you've been raised with Christ, this is a reference to the resurrection, and you'll notice here that that resurrection that he is talking about is not just the resurrection of Jesus. It was yours. If you have trusted in Christ, 
Your union with him is such that Paul can say here that we have been raised with him. That's how strong this, this bond is, this union with Christ that we have. For those of us who have trusted in him, we use terminology sometimes that I think is a little bit faulty when we talk about our, our testimony. Well, some of us will say, well, I got saved. Or, or uh, you know, maybe we look at this in terms of, of escaping hell. And that's true. I became a Christian. Well, there's, there's a lot more than we could say all of those things are true, but perhaps the greatest expression of what happened to you was that you were raised. You were dead. And you were raised. You've been raised with Christ. This is the language of our text and Ephesians 2, 5, and 6. And we could add also Romans 6, 4. Uh, there is a scene there that I think Paul is visualizing Christian baptism. And he writes there, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So where are you? If you are Christ, you are with Him, having been raised with Him and seated with Him in the heavenly realms. This, this eschatological age has come upon us through our faith in the gospel. Now, there's tension here, and I, I, I'm not going to dismiss it. There is tension here. Uh, someone may uh, you know, say, well, I thought heaven was in the future. I thought the resurrection was an event in the future, and this is true. This tension that we're talking about here is what theologians call the already and not yet. And so we look at these things and say, well, have you been raised? Yes. Are you going to be raised? Yes. Some things are true now already but they will be true in the future as well and what's the point well if you've been raised with christ seek the things that are above it says set your minds on things that are above not on things that are on earth paul is saying that since you've been raised up with christ you have a new orientation we don't orientate the way we think the way we see the world as according to the world. That's, that's the old us. We don't think the way the world thinks. We don't act the way the world acts. We've been raised up to heaven. Now, to move on and really grasp this, he gives us a very poignant illustration, and that's going to lead us into our second point and our Second question, which is this, old clothes or new? Old clothes or new? Many of us uh, may have received some new clothes for Christmas. That's always nice, isn't it? It's nice to put on new clothes. Nice to go shopping, try on something new. I've been wearing this same old stuff, and now I've got something new. So, so that's a good thing. But it's not always right to wear new clothes is it 
I'm going to go out and work on the car. Change the oil. Do I put on my new suit for that? No. Uh, let's, let's expand this a little bit. Let's say that I go out and, and, and I've put on my old clothes and I've worked on the car and, and worked on the truck and changed the oil and this and that and I've got greasy and grimy and I've done some yard work and I've gotten dirty and sweaty and we're having a nice, nice dinner later that evening. We're having guests. My wife has prepared a very nice meal and I walk in and there's the table. It's got the nice dishes and the wonderful meal and the guests. And I've got on those old, sweaty, dirty, grimy clothes and I sit down at the table. Now there's something wrong with that picture, isn't there? Would I do that? In case you're wondering, I wouldn't, okay? I wouldn't. Some people in my family, maybe so. But not me. I mean, I recognize that... There's a time to wear the old clothes, time to wear dirty clothes, right? But there's a time to change, to put on new clothes. And this is the illustration that Paul here is giving us of how one has changed from being earthly-minded to heavenly-minded. You'll, you'll notice that there's quite a catalog, a list of earthly things given in our text. Verse 5, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And then down in verse 8, anger and wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk. And, and then he includes in, in this lying in verse 9. This is the kind of behavior that characterizes someone who's in the world. does not and must not characterize the child of God. No, they, they must be put away. And, and so to illustrate this, Paul uses the idea of changing clothes, changing garments. He, he says in verse 8, but now you must put them all away. And, and the verb that he uses here in this phrase that is translated put off is a word that describes uh, taking off old dirty clothes. Now, uh, an explanation is needed here because when you and I take off old dirty clothes what do we do well in my case we put them in the hamper and we wash them and we use them again but that's not what he's saying here these are clothes that are taken taken off and put aside never to be put on again Paul says in Romans 13:12 the night is far gone the day is at hand so then let us cast off or take off, remove the, the same idea, the works of darkness, and put on the armor of light. This is a permanent change. Hebrews 12.1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. We, we take it off. We lay it aside. Some scholars and their commentaries have I've posited that Paul is talking about uh, an initiation ritual here in the Greco-Roman world. If you joined a particular guild or if you joined a, a club or something like that, uh, you went in and they had a, a ritual where you took off the old coat and then you put on the new coat. Maybe he's talking about that, but I tend to think that Paul is influenced here by the Old Testament. Uh, there's a, an idea back in the Pentateuch 
of the priest coming in to serve at the temple and tabernacle. And when he comes, he strips himself of all his clothing and he has a bowl of water that he washes himself with. Then he puts on his priestly garments, which have been intricately prepared and cleaned. And, and they're, they're beautiful. He has these white garments. They have these beautiful stones all over them. And then we read this passage from Zechariah earlier that referenced the priest Joshua. Now, this is not the, the Joshua that succeeded Moses. This is Joshua, a priest during the, the time of the exile. And he was told to remove the filthy garments. Why? Well, the angel said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. This, brothers and sisters, is the Lord's church today. We are that holy priesthood. We've been washed, cleansed, made pure by the blood of Christ, and raised up with Him to the heavenly realms. And as such, we must be dressed for such an occasion. You agree? The idea here is, is strengthened in verse 9. He says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Now the word here for put off is a little bit different than the, the one that we saw in, in verse 8. Here in verse 9 the idea is to strip off, remove, if, if by force, if necessary. It even means to disarm. It's used back in, in this book. If you'll look back in chapter 2 verse 15. It says, He, the Father, disarmed. And it's the same word. That is, he, he stripped off. He removed the weapons of the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him, that is, Christ. So this is our calling, brothers and sisters. To change clothes. The old garments must be taken off never to be put on again. They must be thrown away. Verse 5 says, Put to death what is earthly in you. That This old man must be put to death. We must kill him. Or can you? All right. Everybody hold on because this takes us to our third question. Our third and final question is this. Active or passive? And what I mean by that question is, is simply this, this. This putting to death of the old man, the, the taking off of the old garments, a, a putting away the old earthly way, the, the old self. Do we do this? Or does the Lord do this? Are we active in this or are we passive? Now, a, a short, quick English lesson, okay? As you know in the English language when you're studying verbs, verbs have voice. They're active or passive. And, for instance, uh, an active case would be to say that I hit the ball. I did something, okay? I caused the action. The passive voice would be to say that I was hit by the ball. I was just standing there doing nothing and the ball hit me. Those are examples. And that's great if you're dealing with English, but we aren't dealing with English. We're dealing with the original Greek. And guess what? In Greek, there's a third option. 
We don't have this in English. It's called the middle voice. Now, I don't want to turn this into a, a Greek lesson, but I do want to point out that this verbal form is what we see in verses 8 and 9. Those, those verbs are in the middle voice. And, and they're actually not verbs. They're participles, which is something else we don't really have much in English. But they're, they're verbal forms. And it says, but now you must put them all away. Uh, you have put off the old self and put on the new self. So, so these are in the middle voice. And so that leaves us with the question, well, who's doing this? Well, the middle voice is a way in Greek to express something that you do just for yourself. We might say, I hit myself with the ball. That's an example of the middle voice. And, and so what's the point? Well, I think part of the point is that I can't do this for you and you can't do this for me. I can't take off the old dirty clothes from you and put these new clean clothes on you. When we have small children, we can help them, can't we? In fact, when they're babies, we don't just help them, we do it baby can't do anything as far as taking off its dirty clothes and putting on clean clothes. But here we have these verbal forms that express action that one does upon him or herself. But how does this help? I mean, we still have the question, don't we? Can we do this? I thought the Lord did it. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion, right? So what are you saying, Brother Randy? Do we do this? Does the Lord do this? This is further complicated in that our next verb form, if you'll look back with me at verse 9, you see this phrase, it says, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. That verb, being renewed, is passive. So, the being renewed, we don't do that, do we? That's just something that's happening. <laughs> it's being done by the Lord. But still, what is our role in all that's going on here in Colossians 3? Some of you are familiar with the term monergism. And what is monergism? Well, monergism is a compound word. It comes from uh, a, a prefix mono, which means only or alone, and uh, ergon. The word for work. We don't use that word. It's an old ancient word. Something that is done by only one. And we speak of salvation as monergistic, don't we? Only God does it. It's corollary is synergism. Sin is a, a prefix that means together. Or many. There are many who would hold to the, the view of a, a synergistic salvation. Uh, that is, a, we have to cooperate with God. God can, can work up to this point, but He can't get us over the edge. We've got, to, we've got to help Him. Now, we Reformed folk, we don't, we don't believe that, do we? <laughs> we don't hold to that at all. We don't believe that God needs our help. And yet, what do we do when we come to a place like Colossians 3 where we have all these commands? Seek the things that are above. Set your minds on things that are above. Put to death what is earthly in you. 
Put off the old self. Put on the new self. Are, are we to just sit back and say, well, we're monergists. We don't do anything. You really haven't changed much. Don't blame me. That's God's fault. He's the one who has to do it. I can't do it. Is that the answer? How do we, how do we solve this? Well, let me make an attempt. When we see these imperatives, and I'm, I'm speaking here primarily about the, the New Testament and, and the New Covenant, we have these commands. Who are they given to? They're given to us. This, this you that we find throughout our text is actually a plural you. Paul is speaking to the church. Colossae, that Trinity Reformed Baptist Church. He's speaking to us as a whole. And the fact is, he's not speaking to you in the sense of the old you. He's speaking to the new you. There's a new you, a, a different you. In fact, that old you is not even alive anymore. If you'll look again at verse 1, it says, If then you have been raised with Christ. There's a, a parallel to this verse. If you'll slip back up and look at chapter 2, verse 20. If with Christ you died. The old you is not even alive anymore. And yet, in some sense, that old man's lingering around, isn't he? If he weren't, we wouldn't have that command to put him to death. But what I think Paul wants us to see here is that this new you is so united to Christ that what is at work in you is not you. It's Him. If you've been raised with Christ, you have a, you have a new identity. In fact, let's go back a little bit farther in this book. If you'll look at, at chapter 1, verse 27. It says, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This union with your Savior is such that any transformation that is taking place is the work of Christ. And yet, the apostle appeals to our mind, to our conscience. We share the gospel. We don't just say, well, if God wants to save them, he'll save them. God uses means. And what is the means? Well, we have this phrase that we don't use a lot around here. I'm going to introduce it more as 2021 comes into play this year. And it's a phrase called the means of grace. There are several ways that God works. There are several means. There's an end, and God doesn't just magically, boom, okay, there we are. No, we're taken to that end through means. God uses means. And what is the primary means through which God does His work? It is the preaching of the gospel. Now you wonder why I harp on 
you attending to the preaching of the gospel. This is why. This is what God is doing through the preaching of the word. How do we know this? One last verse, and it's chapter 1, verse 28. Him we proclaim, listen, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present Everyone mature in Christ. There is, through the preaching of the gospel, a warning and a teaching. How are we going to get this? How are we going to put this old man to death? How are we going to take off these old clothes and put these new clothes on? How is it that we do that? We do it through the power of Christ, which is afforded to his people through the preaching of the gospel. We lift up Christ. We see our risen and exalted Lord Jesus who's called us up to Himself. We could never attain this on our own. But He can because He's in us. And because we are with Him. Only the Lord can do this. But you can do it because there's a new you has been raised up with Christ and seated with Him in the heavenly places. Amen? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we're thankful for the power of the gospel. We're so thankful that you have not abandoned us and left us to ourselves, else we would all fall away. But through your grace... You are working in us to conform us into the image of your Son. And so today, Father, we come and bow before you and ask you, please do this work. Please bring glory to yourself through the transformation of your church. We humbly bow and humbly ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen.